Coming up on the GM Shuffle, two of the league's most potent offenses square up. The Packers shut up the Seahawks last week, but are they in trouble against the Vikings? What the hell is going on in New York with the quarterback situation? And of course, the much-anticipated second part of our interview with the legendary Stevie Van Zandt. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Good to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. Cannot wait for Thanksgiving. We're just a week away right now. But I want to start first, Mike, because Steve Van Zandt, part two is coming up. So I want to pull back the curtain here. They told us you get Stevie for 30 minutes. I tried to be respectful of the time. We get to the 30-minute mark. Stevie, thank you so much. No problem. My man Lombardi just plows through. He sees a little hole in the open offensive line. Bam. Oh, just goes, man. Hey, Stevie, two more questions. You throw two more at him and then didn't stop. And here's the good thing. He loved it. He had no issue with it. You know when a guy's like, hey, I got to get going. Sorry. You could have talked to him for an hour. It was amazing. We could have gone for another hour. I mean, it was incredible. He was just so engaging and humbling. And, you know, it was, I, I, it was, we had so much in common in terms of we could have gone in any direction. Lilyhammer, could have gone Sopranos, could have gone, you know, E Street. I mean, it's just, and then all his activist work that he believes in. And, and two, I, 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 I'll, you know, he talks about what he believes in curriculum for schools, which I, you know, I'm a part of. I'm a part of Andy Duke's decision learning for the curriculum. Andy Duke's the former great poker player wrote an incredible book called uh, Thinking in Bets. Kind of opens her book up the same way I opened up uh, Gridiron Genius and talking about the Pete Carroll play and why it was the right call as I did. And uh, you know, we and she wants to have decision making in core curriculum, and Stevie wants to have all the musical courses. So there was a lot in common. I, I'm just really thankful that he came on, and and I could, she's, I could spend all day talking to him. It was just so good. As you called me after, and said you could have been best friends with him. Like, there's no question, Lombardi and Van Zandt. <laughs> I don't know how I'm not best friend. I mean, I'd be <laughs> the best promoter of all time. I mean, you know, I'd be his consigliere. I would love to counsel him. You know, I mean, it would be unbelievable. You know, I, I'll be. You know, now when I watch, like I, during the day, if I'm screwing around in my off, not screwing around, if I'm working and I want to listen to music, I'll put on YouTube is the greatest invention of all time. And so you put on one of those YouTube Springsteen, like they'll have full Springsteen concerts, right? And so you put one of those on and I can't take my eyes off of Stevie now, just watching him on there. And it's so good. But the, the, those whole videos of the, the, the Stevie thing, it's just incredible how people have downloaded them on and you could watch the whole concert. And, you know, you know, the reverence that he talked about with Milan when we start talking about Italy. Oh, my God. You got to be Russo on this bet. And speaking, of, gotta. and speaking of music, my buddy E60 who's an avid listener texts me because, hey, I know you skew older, like you love Sinatra, you love old things, but I know you didn't know what Mike was talking talking about when he mentioned the mamas and the papas. So he sent me the text of the album cover, which I immediately posted on Instagram. That is a great album cover. They're in the oh bathtub holding her up. That's unbelievable. And, and then somebody on Twitter <laughs> said, there's already a book out of all the great album covers, but I, I think it's got to be done better. I, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, Ray Kroc saw a hamburger stand. He made it better. There's a way to make that album cover book better, right? That's what you call being an entrepreneur, right? Take an existing idea, make it better, right? I, I think that's what, I, I think it's got to happen. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a Kramer idea. You get in those Kramer ideas, you know, you know, bubble around oil so it doesn't leak, you know, feed mayonnaise to the tuna. You have tuna fish, you know, all that stuff. 
I just loved your Ray Kroc reference. Michael Keaton, great in The Founder, by the way, if you want to see a movie about the origin of McDonald's. All right, let's get to football. Robert Sala flip-flopping. What? Oh, my God. 36-year-old Joe Flacco came over to the Jets three weeks ago. We all knew this. My third-string quarterback. Like, hey, Flacco's going to be there, hopefully just to kind of tutor Zach Wilson. Anything you need, kid? I'm here to help you out. Veteran quarterback. And now Mike White came along. Okay, well, it kind of made sense. Zach Wilson got hurt. Mike White, not bad. But now Salah flip-flopping again. This change comes after he praised Mike White on Monday. I still have a lot of confidence in Mike. He was anointed the next coming after one game. He really was. And now Flacco is the guy. What's going on? Uh, You know, I don't know. And, you know, I have a line for Jet fans, and it's a Dean Martin line that I stole. You know, Dean Martin used to say, I feel sorry for people that don't drink because when they wake up first thing in the morning, that's the best they're going to feel all day. (laughs) So I I just made it into Jet fans. You know, I feel sorry for Jet fans because when they wake up on Sunday morning, that's the best they're going to feel all day. (laughs) You know, and it's somewhat true, right? You know, the poor bastards. I mean, you grow up a Jet fan, it's an their existence is horrible, but they don't deserve this. I mean, Look, I've been on record about Robert Salai since before he got hired, you know, and I've said it before he got hired. I didn't think he met the criteria of what one of the 32 hardest jobs to get in the United States deserve to have, you know, and and it's not trial by error. You don't learn under fire. It's a job that requires great skill, great deliberation, Annie Duke's ability to make decisions. And this decision just, to me, there's, there is, and we'll talk about this in the pop culture minute, but there's a ton of conspiracy theorists on this Mike White decision, much like hmm. there are in in JFK. People feel like, well, he doesn't want to play Mike White because if Mike White plays good, then it, you know, then he's got to play Mike White and then that hurts Zach Wilson. I, I'm not buying any of that, right? I'm not buying any of that. I've been in these meetings before and these coaches, especially coaches that you allow to make decisions, middle-level managers that you allow to make executive decisions like what the Jets are doing, they want to play the safe bet. They want to play the safe bet. You know, I can remember, you know, Coach Walsh asking Bill McPherson. I could remember it like it was yesterday. And I love Coach Mack. McPherson's one of the great coaches. He said, Mack, where would you draft Charles Haley? And Mac had this expression like he had the worst gas he's ever had in his life in his stomach. <laughs> you know, it's like it was so bad. You know, coach, I might, I, I, I think I draft him in the 10th or 11th round. And Coach Walsh looked at him and said, Mac, if we want him, we're going to have to pick him. And oftentimes, you know, it, that these decisions that if you allow the assistant coaches to make, they're going to take the safe route. And Flacco's the safe route because they want to be able to go to the line of scrimmage. And if they see zero blitz, they want Flacco to check out of it. They want Flacco to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Not that Flacco can get out of the way, right? Like when when the Miami Dolphins heard Flacco was going to be the quarterback, Josh Boyer's probably spent two extra hours coming up with more zero blitzes than he could because he's just going to come after his ass and know he can't escape. You know, I don't have to spy on the quarterback. It ain't Lamar Jackson. I don't have to worry about him getting out of the pocket. I mean, Flacco's got a good chance of not being able to get through the game. And then you went with a quarterback who's not even vaccinated. I mean, what happens on Sunday morning if, if he wakes up and doesn't pass the test? Yeah, it could be a disaster. Here's what Salah trying to explain it. Kind of what you're referring to. Miami's got a dynamic coverage system with all the different coverages they run. Joe's been there, done that. This is why we brought him in for situations like this. So here's where I get confused. You brought him in for situations to be like a spot starter? Like you have the ace of your pitching staff and here's this guy who's like a number five starter. Hey, depends on the roster. It's a poor lineup. You put him in there like, no, I thought you brought him in there to tutor the young quarterbacks on your team, specifically Zach Wilson. And I get it, Mike. If they were on the verge of a playoff spot and Salah's like, you know what? We're fighting for 
a playoff fly, screw it. I'm not going with the kid. I'm going with the veteran. I'm playing for job security. I get that. This team's not going anywhere. Your team sucks. Right. Your team should be right. about player development. Why are you developing Joe Flacco? It's pointless. Well, let, let's analyze it, right? So he says, that's why we brought Joe in here. You brought Joe in here because you, the, the quarterback got hurt. The reason you made the trade, you let Joe sign another deal with Philadelphia. You could have matched that deal. You could have easily matched that deal. You had more cap room than most any team. You let Joe sign a deal with Philly. You basically spent the whole offseason not wanting a veteran quarterback. So don't tell me now these are the reasons you brought Joe in here. Like, it just fits your narrative today. Like, why doesn't somebody call him out on that? Wait a minute, coach. I don't understand. Let me see. This would be a Belichickian. Look, okay, I don't fucking understand. Like, why did you let him go? And now say that you brought him in here for this. Like, it makes no sense. Like, have some ability to at least justify what you're doing. Look, I don't believe he doesn't want to play Mike White. I think he wants to play it safe. I think he wants to take the two iron out and hit it down the middle of fairway and feel like, okay, I got a chance to beat this team. They're not very good, right? And I could put a win and get some of this heat off me. But Flacco's going to turn the ball over three times. They're going to blitz the shit out of him, you know, and it's going to get, it's only going to make it worse for him. I mean, everything he does, he demonstrates he has no command. They didn't hire a head coach, AD. They hired a manager. Remember, leaders do the right thing. Managers do things right. They, they, and he's not even doing things right. So he's not even a good manager. So like, seriously, like, you know, and how about Rex going after his ass? Like, how about Rex going after his ass? Like well, that, I thought was like, hang on, is this Rex because he's a former Jets coach? He knows the same terrain. But like, Rex is fired up. It's rare to get the big dog barking like that and get up. I, I read a stat that this defense is actually worse than the Lou Holtz coach Jet team. <laughs> that his defense. Think about that. And that goes to our point. Listen, if that is your side of the ball, you have to dominate. For example, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona right now are 8-2, and and their defense has improved. Their offense is great. But he's an offensive coach. You better bring the offense. When Dan Quinn was the head coach, your defense better be good in Atlanta. He's now the D.C. with Dallas. The defense has been great. If you're known as this thing... You know, again, Sean Payton's an offensive-minded coach. Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, defensive-minded coaches. If that's what your thing is, I totally get it. Robert Sala's known for defense, Mike. They've won the worst defenses in football. Uh, you know, and that's how you mar- That's how you measure it. And it isn't like he's being the overseer. He's not being the chief figure-out officer. He's the defensive coordinator. He's running it. I mean, he looks so confused on the sideline like he has no answer. Like, here's what people say. Well, it's his first year. Give him time. If you're lost, do you still keep going? Like, when do you, like, we're I, making I, good time, right? We're, yeah, we're lost, we're lost making but making great time. time. Like, I give this woman who's the AD at Washington, Jennifer Cohen, she hired Jimmy Lake. And after 13 games, she's decided that Jimmy Lake's not, that he's not the right guy for the job. For whatever reason, she decided that. I give her credit. She stood in front of the media and said, look, this is on me. I made a mistake. Like, you, you can't have, you can't have that bias because you hired them, you're going in the right direction. If it's wrong, it's not going to get better. If it's wrong, and then who's going to help this guy get better? Is Joe Douglas going to help him get better? This guy listens to his assistant coaches. Look, here's what I do know. I know this more than anything in the world, and I believe it. When the assistant coaches are happy, you don't have a good team. You just don't have a good team. When the assistant coaches are pissed off at the head coach, you got a really good team. Okay, you got a really good team. Right, Because the assistant coaches have to do what the head coach wants them to do. When the assistant coaches are all kind of feeling like they control their destiny and everything they manage around, you got a shitty team. You're never going to win. But when they're coming in bitching about the head coach making them do this and making them do that, you, you, you got, you're going to have a hell of a season because you want them to bitch. If, you, if they're happy, you're unhappy. 
A couple of malcontents go a long way. That's a good adage to have. Uh, let's get to the games because I cannot wait for Cowboys Chiefs. The Chiefs are favored minus two and a half. They're at home. The, the optimist, Mike, says, hey, the offense is back. They looked awesome, right? Mahomes is crushing it. Uh, they made adjustments. Eric Bieniemy clearly has recognized what was lacking. They could get Clyde Edwards-Hilaire back. And then the Cowboys said, well, hey, we're getting our full wide receivers back. Gal's back. Cooper's back. Lamb's back. Casey's defense has been bad. I think Dallas wins. But I think it's going to be a good game. But I'm amused by how many were calling the Chiefs doom and saying they were done. Oh, my God, they're back just because they looked so good a week ago. Well, are they back or did Gus Bradley let them come back? Like, I think that's the fundamental question. Gus Bradley did, you know, when he said on, on last week that we're going to do what we do and then he did it and then they did, the Chiefs were back. Look, I, I think Dan Quinn's smart enough to copy all these other people and play them a certain way and and try to create some issues and get some. But I don't know why the Chiefs are favored in the game by two and a half. I think it should be a pick'em game. I, I don't see why. I, I think Dallas is the better team. Dallas has covered every spread except one. They're eight and one against the spread. The Chiefs haven't covered. They've covered two spreads all season in ten games. So, like to me, you know, the key is going to be Tyron Smith. Is he healthy from that ankle? Can he come back? But the Chiefs have played better defense. But there is only there's eleven teams in the National Football League this year that have scored over forty points. The Bills have done it three times, and so have the Chiefs. And so have the Cowboys. I, I just think, to me, if this is a shootout, I think the Cowboys' gun's more loaded than the Chiefs' gun. I, I like the Cowboys here. How about the concerns for Dallas? No DeMarcus Lawrence, no Randy Gregory. Is there a concern there about generating pressure on Mahomes? Yeah, there is, but I think they got it. You know, Makai Parsons has really been really good. They should Micah rush Parsons him more. Yeah. Micah, he's been great. So they should rush him more. I think they should definitely do that. But, you know, I, the way they've been playing and they're, they're opportunistic on defense. Look, the one thing the Cowboys can do, if this becomes a shootout, the Cowboys can shoot. I mean, this can be a 35-34 game, 42-40. I mean, the Cowboys are, even if whoever gets down 14 to nothing, under the old Chiefs defense, they can come back. And I think that's the way it could happen in this game, too. Shootout at the OK Corral with Dak Prescott playing the role of Wyatt Earp. Look forward to that game Sunday at 425 Eastern. How about the Packers and the Vikings? Well, the ship was righted because of the fact that Aaron Rodgers came back, even though he's questionable for this game with a toe injury. And he didn't light it up against the Seahawks, but he was good. And obviously, Russell Wilson struggled mightily. Packers are 8-2. and two. The Vikings, we said last week it was a Custer's last staying game. Well, guess what they won? So Custer's <laughs> alive for another week. Custer's but, alive, yeah. But, but you're 4-5, and five and you've lost five games by seven points or less. Now can you beat the Packers? How about the line? I mean, this is at Minnesota, Packers minus two. I know, it's unbelievable. But, you know, it's funny, too, and I think this has something to do with it. I tweeted out the great Rick Goslin, who writes a – I always retweet it, but he writes a great uh, breakdown. He power ranks all the teams, and he, and he writes it up every week. He had a great stat about the uh, – about the officials in this game. So anyway, let me just read it to you here. The Packers in a Viking game will be officiated by Sean Hockley. You know, disappointing that my man, you know, my, my favorite official isn't doing the game, but Sean Hockley's crew is going to do it. The road team has won eight consecutive games officiated by Hockley. Overall, home teams are one and eight with Hockley this season and six and 18 over the last two seasons. Wow. I mean, that, that that's concerning. And look, we know Cousins doesn't always play well. This Packer defense has played really well. Cousins has always been bothered by the Packers rush. Now, in fairness, the Vikings get back. 
they get a little healthier here. You know, they, they're able to, uh, they get Peterson back. They're going to get Harrison Smith back. And so, you know, they're going to get some guys back off of IR, which will be really helpful. And then, of course, the, the, the Packers don't have Aaron Jones. This is, a, this is you know, one thing about the Vikings, when you're four and five, every game's a Custer last stand game. I mean, this is one they got to win. They got to make it hard on Rodgers. They got to put all everything in it. And this is going to be Mike Zimmer's season. I mean, if Mike Zimmer wins this game, he saves his ass. If he doesn't, and then you, they're going to be looking for a coach in Minnesota. You mentioned Aaron Jones out of the spring MCL. Good showcase here for two great wide receivers, Devonta Adams, Justin Jefferson. We'll see which of those receivers is able to step up uh, and hopefully to the benefit of Aaron Rodgers or Kirk Cousins. Ravens and the Bears. Baltimore is favored at minus five. They're on the road at Chicago. Bears are three and six. Here's another question, Mike. If somebody said to me, what's the theme of this year? I'd say a lot of surprising upsets. You know, in one week, Buffalo can lose to Jacksonville and Baltimore can look bad and the Bengals can beat someone and the Browns can beat their heads in. So for Baltimore, my question is, how do they respond to last week's shocking upset loss? They, they have to. I mean, they look, the Bears won't run blood zero. They'll be too scared of their corners in this game, whereas Miami wasn't. But they've got to come out and play better. I mean, this is Don Martindale versus Justin Fields' rookie cornerback. This is Don Martindale versus Juan Castile's pass protections. And look, the Bears lead the league in sacks allowed. I think this is. I think this is when the Ravens they 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 feast on teams like the Bears that can't really pass protect within their scheme. They're going to take advantage of a young quarterback, and they don't have a passing game to really exploit. Now I know the kid played really better in the second half. I don't doubt that that Fields, but he's going to be. It's going to be like the Tampa game. This is going to be like the Tampa game. He's going to be under extreme pressure the entire game. Uh, it's interesting, too, uh, <laughs> not that we could pile on Matt Nagy, but as an indictment of coaching, the Bears have lost seven straight games following a bye. Isn't that amazing? You normally think coming off a bye, teams well-prepared, well-coached. The Bears, they do horrible coming off a bye. Figure that out. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you know, it's like I was talking about on Visa the other day. I mean, when you have an offensive coach as a head coach, you got to really make your team tough. How do you do that, you know? And I think one of the one of the biggest concerns that, that I think one of the biggest areas where teams lack toughness, especially in college, is... You know, college is such a recruiting sport, but you got to coach mental toughness. And when you're always going in the bubble when it's bad weather, you're not coaching mental toughness. Sometimes the bubble, and Joe Gibbs used to say all the time, there's no way we're ever going to build a bubble here because we're going to go outside. We play in Washington. We're going to play in the cold weather. We're going to practice out of it. And I think sometimes these offensive coaches, they want this perfect practice. So they go indoors to the bubble. And what they're not coaching is, is they're not coaching the mental toughness muscle. They're not making their team mentally tough. That's what I see with the Bears. I think the Bears just lack overall mental toughness. Got a big test for them as they try to knock off the Ravens, who obviously were embarrassed against the Dolphins. Two more games to go, and then we'll get some more CB Van Zandt. Bengals and the Raiders. How about Cincinnati? At one point, we were anointing them as the best team in the AFC. Hey, two big road wins, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Now two bad losses to the Jets and the Browns. With a nod to Slim Shady, will the real Cincinnati Bengals please stand up? And they're playing a Raiders team, Mike, by the way, who got torched. Their defense, five touchdowns, 400 yards to give up to Mahomes. The line on this one, Bengals minus one. Since he's got to wake up. I mean, since he, both teams have to wake up. I mean, you know, the Raiders lose badly against the Giants. Shouldn't you know they run, they won for six in the red zone the, last week against Kansas City. They turned the ball over to Sean. I mean, this is Derek Carr's got to take over. This is going to be what quarterback plays better and what defense steps up. I like the Bengals defense better than the Raiders defense. But the Raiders season for all the fanfare that starts out, if they don't win this game, it's a typical Raider collapse in the second half. Same thing happened last year. Got off to a good start. Unfortunately, we're not able to be strong the rest of the way. Both the AFC North, AFC West races are tight. Meantime, last one, Saints and Eagles. 
New Orleans is five and four. Alvin Kamara is questionable. They're facing Philadelphia at four and six. The Eagles are minus two. How about Philly? Just when you count them out, they knock off the Broncos. They went 30 to 13. And the shocking thing is they've won two or three games behind their run game, but the Saints have one of the best run defenses in football. How do you break down that matchup? Well, the Saints run defense will be tested because this isn't a typical run game. This is Oklahoma Sooner run game. I mean, you know, the Eagles, they're talking playoffs here in Philadelphia. No, they're I mean, playoffs. Oh, yeah, they're talking playoffs here. Yeah, they are. <laughs> They're talking. I mean, they they're talking that you know one win. Jalen Hurts is the franchise quarterback. <laughs> Dominique Foxworth said that uh, that he thinks that Hurts is the most underrated quarterback in all of football. Whoa. I mean, you know, and you look at the QBR stats. Like, watch the game. Like, the guy doesn't make any plays for the pocket. If you don't play him correctly, if you don't make him play quarterback, he's going to he's gonna run around and make plays and beat you. It's going to be all loose plays. But if you make him play quarterback, stand behind there and don't let him run the ball, he's been the leading rusher on their team. I, I In this game, I like the Saints a lot. I like Sean Payton coming back. I think the Saints are 21-4 and four on the road as, as against the spread as underdogs. I'll take the Saints in this one all day long. And last thought with the Saints offense. You said it last week on the GM Shuffler, last episode, you'd like to see more of Taysom Hill at quarterback. Who do you think is the guy, Simeon or Hill? I think it'll be Simeon, but I think they'll sprinkle Hill in. I think they'll control it. I mean, the, you, you know, the Eagles, when they play against good quarterbacks or good coaching, you know, they've given, they only th- allowed 28 incompletions in those five games when they played against Tom Brady, when they played against Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, when they played against Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott. Those five quarterbacks, they've only allowed 28 incompletions. Sean Payton, will, every play Sean Payton will dial up will be a completed pass. Trust me on that. They'll, he'll be able to burn this secondary. And here's what I think people are going to be confused with and why this line to me is screwed up. I think it should be Saints favorite, but it's screwed up. I think this, I think that people think that the Saints didn't play well against Tennessee. They got Jermaine Booger last week. They played good last week. They moved the ball offensively against Tennessee. They just didn't put it in the red zone and they get get that turnover. I think the Saints offense will play really well. All right. Look forward to those games. And uh, obviously, it's going to be a ton of fun breaking all the football, which we will do on GM Shuffle on Monday. Now, if you missed last Thursday's episode, go back and listen to part one of our interview with Stevie Van Sant, one of the best conversations we've had with anybody. Part two, Mike took over. It was great stuff. It's next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
I was watching the uh, documentary when you were making the letters to, uh, letters of note, and Bruce sings in that background. What's that house behind him that he's singing? That's up on the wall. It looks like. And then you all you all toast to San Siro. Is that your favorite place? <laughs> That's one of our favorite venues to perform. Yeah, because I saw you. I saw you in Florence. I was with Brian Baldinger, and we saw you in the Duomo there. And you know, I had my wife was it was under the skies that my wife was celebrating her fiftieth birthday. But I wanted to. I wanted to sing Springsteen songs with other Italians. That was my goal in life, you know. <laughs> and so I did it in Florence. And if you remember that day, it fucking rained from about the fourth song. Oh. Mud on, did it rain? And it rained until he played Who'll Stop the Rain, the last song, like 33. But it was it was the greatest thing. But it, but when you toasted San Siro, I wanted to go to San Siro to hear you. But because he, I, I, I'd heard that that's, the, that's your guy's favorite place to play. Yeah, there's it, it, something magical about it. And uh, it, next next tour, you got you got to you got to find your way there. You got to you got to do it. Well, I got a bet with Chris Russo on Mad Dog Radio. <laughs> We're picking games, right? We're picking games one against each other. And right. he's a Bruce. So I said to him, whoever wins, we get to pick the venue to see Bruce. And I told him, if I win this fucking thing, it's San Siro. We're going to Milan. <laughs> you know, you know. I'm telling you, it's it's a strange stadium. And by the way, uh, they're trying to tear it down, so I, I hope they don't. Well, the, the Italians might take 10 years before they can work that out to tear <laughs> it down. <laughs> I was just there two weeks ago and uh, on the book tour, and, uh, and I told everybody, I said, you, you, you tear this venue down, we're never coming back to Italy. So everybody keep that in mind. <laughs> but it, it, it's, a, it's a strange configuration because we play the stadium sideways, and, and, uh, and that, that side is really high. So, so it becomes a, the most intimate stadium you can play. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's the shortest distance between the stage and the, and the back of the room, you know, because, because we're doing it sideways. And they, and they spell out all of these words in, in the audience. I don't, even, I don't even know how they do it, okay? You know, <laughs> they sing so loud. And I, I'm telling you, we're in a stadium, you know, and we have the audience come up pretty close to the stage. But you're still, you know, you're still 20 feet away. They sing so loud, you can't hear your own amplifiers. Wow. Okay? That you can't hear yourself. All right? And that's how loud they sing. Every single word. They sing the riffs of the songs. <laughs> they sing everything. I mean... It's, it's, you got to you got to see it to believe it. You got to be. I, I when I was in Florence and, and Baldy and I, my wife's with me, and you played "Working on the Highway." And Baldy and I look at each other and said, "These are sing they're singing "Working on the Highway," and these Italians have never worked on one highway <laughs> in their entire freaking life, and they know every and they know the words of the song. I was dying. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, they they know every word. I mean, it was the only way I could communicate with. Like there was a woman standing next to me, we could communicate during the song, and my wife kept saying, you know, they came to hear him sing, not you, you know? And so I'm like, okay, I got it. That's the difference between the European audience and the American audience. And we have the best American audience in the world. Don't get me wrong. But Americans come to observe, really, you know? Yeah. And, and Europeans come to participate. I mean, that, that's just, it's just a different cultural thing, you know? Um, they, they, they wouldn't think of coming to the show without the new album. You know, they all they all buy the new album. We're in America, you know, at this point, I don't know, 10%, 20%, maybe 30% yeah. of the audience might have the new album, you know, because, you know, they're coming to hear the older songs. But the, the Europeans are coming 
to participate in the show. And so that new album is the script and they know it. You know, we're going to do that new album. You know, we're not, we don't come out and we're not shy about that stuff. We don't do like one or two songs from a new album. You know, we're going to do most of it. Yeah. And no, uh, I think it's awesome. You know, it's, it's incredible. And so they, 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 they want to, they want to, they want to know those words. So they come knowing every single word of every single song it's, and, and singing it loud loud and in tune <laughs> <laughs> it, it, no it, it's Amazing. incredible I, I no it really is it's incredible it, it, it's it's it was one of my great experiences in life i i pretend it's my wife's 50th birthday but it really was one of the greatest ones of all time to see there and sit there <laughs> look as a kid growing up in new jersey you, you're a hero to me stevie you really are i mean oh, it's because because you. you know what what's amazing is is you've proven that you can get anywhere the hell you want to go if you know where you're going. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, you got to be a little bit flexible in life and be ready for whatever comes at you, you know. So I think it's that's what I mean. I think there's things in the book that apply to hopefully everybody, not not just music people. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm sorry. I think I only had like one sentence about football in the, in the whole book. <laughs> you know? No, I know. But we know you love football. But I was going to tell you the story. To me, when I, when I was reading your book, Branch Rickey, the guy who broke the color barrier in baseball, and he founded the farm system and he won World Series with the Brooklyn Dodgers. When he gets fired from the Pittsburgh Pirates as the president, he's 77 years old. And at his farewell press conference, they all pack into the old stadium and they say, Mr. Ricky, you know, you've done all these great things for baseball. The batting helmet, the batting cages, broke the color barrier, farm systems. What's your greatest achievement? And when I was reading your book, his answer really came to me. He said, it hasn't happened yet. Mm. And he's 77 years old. And he said, it hasn't happened yet. And when I read your book, I felt like you have so much that there's no limit to what you're going to achieve, no matter how, no matter how old are you, your best years are ahead of you. Well, I like to think so. Like I say, I'm hoping for a big fourth quarter here. <laughs> what are you writing and what are you reading? Well, I, I, have, a, I have half of a political book, which I've been, uh, um, I may try and finish it for the 22 election. I don't know if I have time now. I might, I might, I might make it. Uh, it's been hanging, it's been in pieces for years, you know, but I, I want to just get it out, you know, have one, one political book. I, I, there's very little politics in this book. Uh, I saved it to the very, very end. I, I did like a page or two. Yeah, no, I loved it though. But Stevie, your, your thing about schools, I, I'm on the decision. I'm on this Annie Dukes, who's a world-class poker player. I'm on her board. She's trying to get decision-making put in schools as a curriculum. And I told her after reading your book, I said, you should contact Mr. Van Zant because your idea and her idea are, that's what we need to have. I mean, we need to have it. I mean, it, it's living proof. We really do. We could transform the entire education system, you know, by just integrating the arts and, and things that, you know, the, the kids come to school with gifts already. They come with curiosity, imagination. They come with energy. They come with uh, you know, emotions and instinct. And, and, and we ignore all of that. You know, we ignore it and we try and jam down some facts down their throat right. that they don't even understand why we need to know this because we can get an answer on our device in 20 seconds. So you got to give them a reason to be there. And I, you know, and that's what we do with the, you know, teachrock.org. You know, we got, you know, we got over 40,000 teachers now and you know, dozens of partner schools. So we're starting to make an impact. But eventually, I think we can, you know, the arts being integrated into the into the disciplines, not an after school thing, not a separate class, but art in science, art in math, 
technology and 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 and, and engineering. You know, it changes it changes the way kids learn. Uh, they're not comfortable. A lot of kids are not comfortable with that precision stuff. You know, you have to you know find that common ground, and that's where the arts are. So I think. You know, we, th we think it's more important to teach kids how to think than what to think, you know, and that's our thing. I agree completely. And that's the same. I mean, if they, we get them to make better decisions or understand how to make decisions along with that. Yeah. I mean, that's what's so, I mean, because we all make dumb decisions and we make them really when we're, when we're young too. So, I mean, there's so, there's so much that you offer. And I mean, it's really remarkable. That's why I said, when I read the book, I thought of Branch Rickey's line because I think the best is yet to come. That's a nice compliment. Let me tell you, <laughs> being in the same same paragraph as him is, uh, is quite a compliment. I want to know, how good is your ear? That's the other thing I wanted to ask you. Like, Jesus Christ, you heard that thing on board to run and nobody else heard it but you. Like, do you like do you have like supersonic ears or what? What's the deal? No, that's, <laughs> that's a funny thing. Uh, there are certain things I guess you just you just are born with. You know, you have some you do have some inclinations, you know. And I, I have I got pretty good ears, you know, and I haven't lost too much of my <laughs> hearing, which is a miracle uh, through the years. But I, I don't know. It's one of those things that you, you, you try and, uh, you know, you, you just try and stay open and, and, and stay close to the truth. And I think, you know, Bruce's case, you know, he, he was very smart to have one guy, everybody who's a star. I don't care who you are or what you do. Anybody who's successful, for that matter, you know, not even not even just celebrities, but anybody who's successful, be smart and have one guy from the old neighborhood hanging around with you all the time. OK, who will tell you the truth no matter what. Right. You know, and I and then Bruce was smart that way to have me around you know, to do that because, you know, you don't have to listen, you know. And it can be a little bit aggravating. Somebody, you know, bringing you the bad news every now and then, you know, you can ignore them, but have one guy. All right. Who's not on the payroll, you know, and going to, and, and, you know, to, to kiss your ass, you know, and, and, to, and to, and to be a yes man or, or whose, whose livelihood depends on you, you know, liking him, you know, you need one guy from the old neighborhood. that's going to tell you the truth. And I think that's true in all walks of life, honestly, you know, it's, it's good to have. No, I think that's true. I think, and you, and you, you didn't hold back. I mean, you tell them the truth and you know, every guy needs to hear the truth. You know, it's like, I think that's the thing I, I, I work, with Belichick and, and he demands you to tell him the truth. You know, like he wants you to tell him the truth. Like he get pissed off because he knows everybody lies to him because they just want to favor him, you know? So he like looks at you exactly. like, tell me the exactly. fucking truth. Like, what do you think here? <laughs> like, tell me. And, and, you know, he might tell you to go fuck off and he might tell you you're full of shit, but at least you tell him what you think, you know? And like, he, right. and he nods his head and, you know, I mean, and he's a thinker he's, and he's going to process it, you know, five, six days later. And he'll come back to you and say, I think you were wrong on this, or I think you were right on this. That's the thing, you know, and, and, and it was helpful that I was a boss in my own world, you know? So when you're a boss in your own world, it makes you a, a good soldier, you know, in somebody else's world, you, you know? Yeah. I know around me, I want, I want everybody's opinion. And I, I might listen one out of every 20, one out of every 30 times. But that one time I want it because I'm, I want my thing to be as good as it can be. I don't care how I get there. My great greatness is my only concern. Okay. You know, my whole life is about greatness. It's seeking it out. It's supporting it when I find it and trying to achieve it. Okay. And any way I can get there, I want to get there. I don't care. I'll ask the, you know, the janitor coming into the studio. What do you think? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, every opinion, I want to hear it. And I may listen to only one out of a hundred of them, but that one 
that, that it made it one percent better. Good. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. You know, that's why, you know, I get I think my one sentence in the book about football is, you know, I get pissed off when people call you, you know, what I I consider the most important part of a football team, the offensive line. And people oh, call, I love that. And people call them the unskilled players. They call. Them I know. Unskilled. I love that. I'm like, where, 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 when's that going to stop? This is the whole principle of fucking football. It good in the offensive and defensive lines. It's the whole theory of football. Exactly. I mean, I worked for Al Davis for 10 years. That's all he gives a shit about. He wanted speed receivers, but you better be good in the offensive defensive line when you ain't any good there. Like the Rams the other night, they got the shit kicked out of them up front, you know, and they're talking about all the pretty players they have on offense. That's well, that's it. great. I mean, but look, there's lots of good quarterbacks, running backs, receivers. The only way they do their job is if the offensive line does theirs. <laughs> okay? That's the only way. Okay? Yeah, you know, some guys are better than others. Some quarterbacks, you know, everybody, you know, Tom Brady, okay, he's, he's, he's special. We know that. But but I'm telling you right now, give me a mediocre quarterback with a great offensive line every day of the week. Every day of the week. Who is your favorite team? I, I got to tell you the truth. I, I don't watch it as much as I used to because I'm so busy, but I never seen so much parody as this year, I don't think, in my life. No. I think there's yeah. more parody this year. There's more talent, more, you know, more, more evenly matched teams. You know, uh, it, it seems like to me, it, it just seems I've never seen so many talented people as this year, you know, and it makes it more interesting, I think, because you really never know who's going to win these this 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 year, you know. Um, and I, you know, I grew up, um, I first got interested in football because of Joe Namath. I mean, you know, he was the first, uh, yeah. you know, the real, the real, the real, you know, kind of hippie football player. Uh, before that, my father, uh, of course, being Dutch, you know, my, my mother remarried and I'm, a, I'm Italian blood, but you know, he was, uh, he was Dutch. So, so he was a big Norm Van Brockman fan, you know. Uh, you know, uh, the Dutchman. And, and and then I got into Joe Namath. And then I got into very early on, for some reason, I got into the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, uh, first from uh, Mean Joe Green, who I think was the first guy they drafted. And they were like 0-16, you know. I mean, they, uh -huh. they, you know, yeah. they had like yeah. no wins. So first, I, I just fell in love with this Mean Joe Green. And then the second year, you know, I see a guy running through the line. He's got no teeth <laughs> and he's like, he looks like an animal. And that turned out to be Terry Bradshaw, the quarterback, you know? And, I, and so I, I kind of just fell in love with that whole crazy, you know, just primitive thing that both Terry and then, and then, you know, Joe Green and, and then, and then, you know, the other guys on the band, you know, uh, Jack Lambert and the, and the rest of them just, you know, and I, so I became a, a Pittsburgh fan and watched them go from, 0-16 to, to, to the Super Bowl four times, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, I was very, very, very proud of Terry Bradshaw going after Aaron Rodgers the other day. I thought that was... I saw your tweet on that. I, I saw that your was, tweet on that. I thought that was wonderful. I, I could tell you this. I, you know, you're one of my heroes because I've... Because I trust me, I grew up in, on near Highway 9. I followed this whole thing. I mean, I wouldn't have won three Super Bowls if I didn't... If, if, if I didn't listen to the words that you guys were singing wow. and it didn't inspire me... Yeah, I mean, that's, I thank, I wrote my book, Red Iron Genius. I thank Bruce in it because Bruce was basically the only reason I got out of this fucking town. Wow. No, seriously. I mean, you're a kid growing up. I'm 15 years old. He's singing about crossing Highway 9. Everybody in this little town tells you, you know what it's like growing up on these beats. You can't go anywhere, right? Mm. Why would you want to do that? I wanted to work in the NFL. And I hear this guy telling me to go chase a fucking dream. Wendy wasn't there, but I was going to go chase the dream anyway, right? <laughs> so, you know. 
And and so I did. And and to this day, I I, I had a Stevie. I had a bet. We're at the Super Bowl Forty Nine. Belichick, me, Tony Larusso, and Larusso. And I've never met Bruce or shake his hand or any of that because I wanted to thank him. And so Larusso, we're all having dinner, and Larusso says, "If you win this fucking game on Sunday, I'll get you a meeting with Bruce." I said, "Done, deal. We got it." I'm still waiting for him to pay that fucking bet off. <laughs> and all I wanted to do was write him a letter. All I want to do is hand him a letter, say thank you. Because without, without, because the power of your music, like I was a Southside Johnny guy. I had no idea until I read that book that you were behind Southside Johnny. Like I, there was a time I thought Southside was going to be bigger than Bruce. Wow. You would know at the Jersey Shore bands, I'm, I'm telling you guys, you guys don't know. In, in Jersey, there's all these fucking bars had bands in them. And so you'd go and there was some great fucking bands in these. And, and Southside was, um, that music was like, I mean, I didn't even realize you wrote till I read the book. I didn't realize you wrote some of those songs. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. It was like, holy shit. <laughs> How did you write the book? Did you write it on the word process? Did you do that? I, write, I wrote it on my phone. Get out of here. Yep. I write, I write everything on my phone. Because, you know, because it's always with you. So, you know, I can, I can, I can use it everywhere. You know, if I'm, I'm in some cafe somewhere and I want to I write, you know. It's, you know, it's not ideal, but uh, I, got, I got used to it just being convenient. God, you must be a hell of a typer. You must, your, your thumbs must be exhausted. Forget it. I got I to correct every single sentence, every sentence. <laughs> I, I, I got to be honest with you. The fact that you read the book to me, and I love that you were reading it to me, and I love that you interjected your laugh into the book, and you, and you almost ad-libbed during the reading of the book. I thought it was fucking great. Yeah, no, pe- people are just discovering the audio book now, you know, that's... Uh, it's 15 hours, man. It's no joke. Isn't that the hardest thing you ever did in your life? I mean, nah, think about it. No. Nah. I work at Jack Hammer on 287. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Uh, thank you, Stevie. Thank you so much. We appreciate right, you. You're the best. Thanks. We will see you. We'll see you when you tour. I promise you. I will be out there. We're going to find you going out. You're going out, right? Come down. Well, I, I, well, we're talking about it. You know, we'll see what the what the. Well, how about does. when you tour? How about when you are you going to do some solo stuff well, too? I want I want to keep the disciples of soul together. I mean, 2017, 18, 19 were the three most productive years of my entire life. You know, referring to you know Branch Rickey at 77. Yeah. You know, and to me at 70, you know, I'm the, you know literally six album packages. You know, two two new albums in the last three years. You know, Soul Fire and Summer of Sorcery. I had the, the most productive years of my entire life. So I like to keep that band together. They're the best band, you know, in the world. I also like to get back on TV. So, you know, I'm looking at that also. But uh, if, if Bruce wants to go out, I'm, I'm going to do that. You know, if Bruce wants to go out with the E Street Band, that'll, that'll be first priority for me. So, uh, you, you know, if we do that, you got to come to you got to come to Milan. Oh, I'm going to Milan. Trust me, I'll be in San Siro. I'll be drunk with all those other Italians. I'll be singing every one of them. And I, and I promise you, I know the words to the new songs. I, I promise you, I do that. <laughs> I can't thank you enough. This is a dream come true for a fat kid from Ocean City to meet you. And- well, I, uh, that's my, my, my pleasure, really. I encourage everyone to get the book, Unrequited Infatuations, the one and only Stevie Van Zandt. We can't thank you enough. We're huge fans of yours, and congrats on an amazing book. Seriously, Stevie, this was awesome. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. So much, Stevie. Thank you. My pleasure. Awesome interview there with Stevie Van Zandt. Awesome guy. Make sure you go check out his book. And we really do thank him for his generosity in his time. Buy that book. I'm telling you, you'll enjoy it. And buy it, but also listen to it audible. If you like The Sopranos, 
Stevie reading that book to you be like Sylvia's reading it to you. It's so damn good. <laughs> and that gets us to the pop culture minute. As you said, Monday on GM Shuffle, you're looking to play a hooky just so you could watch the JFK on Showtime, which again, the GM Reshuffle all over it. What'd you think? I, I watched it. Millie actually watched it with me. It was, uh, you know, we watched it uh, in two parts. I watched some of it Monday night before the Monday night game, and then I finished it. I thought it was excellent. I, I think, you know, to me, Oliver Stone made it very clear that this is no longer a conspiracy theory. This is fact. There's enough evidence. I marvel, AD, at the people that are willing to sacrifice their time, energy, and money to go to the National Archives and go through every single document in this assassination. And it's fascinating how many documents have been deleted. It's fascinating how much has not been. For example, you know, and Stone talks about it in, in the thing. They can't really say with a thousand percent certainty that Oswald was on the sixth floor because two, two women, only one was actually interviewed, walked down the steps and said she never saw Oswald after the shooting run down the steps. Never saw him. Never. And then this other woman testified the same thing. And yet they refused to take her testimony. They only took the one and destroyed the notes. And this researcher went back and interviewed this woman. She's still alive. She was only 22 at the time. She's still alive. So there's more of those stories. And the, the fascinating thing is, is what most Americans don't know is Kennedy, there was an assassination attempt in Chicago and Tampa prior to, all under the same scenarios of the Dallas assassination. All had people in the city that were going to take the fall for it. And oh, by the way, Jack Ruby was in Chicago. Jack Ruby was in Tampa, and Jack Ruby was in Dallas. Uh, we've talked about this before, but it's crazy. When I went there, I think it was the uh, Cotton Bowl, one of the years I was there at ESPN, I said, I want to go check this out. It's one of the most surreal moments ever. When you see the street, there's an X on the street, and this is a street which everyone is using, and then when motors stop, people go out there and take pictures in the exact X where JFK's head was blown off. It was so creepy to me. It's And they were interviewing, the footage is incredible in the documentary. The, they were interviewing people right after the assassination. They're all saying, we heard shots come from the knoll. They all heard it. They all say it, you know, and these people aren't trying to make it up. This is just, and they interviewed the doctor who performed surgery, who tried to save Kennedy's life, which was an impossibility because his poor man's head was blown out. And the whole thing about the autopsy, which we all know was done by the, by, by the military and the fact that they took that body from Dallas, which is where the autopsy should have been held and moved it back to Washington was a federal crime. So, you know, I think it's just, if you, if you listen to it with an open mind, you, you just can't, if you just went to a whiteboard and wrote down all the things that, that seem to align, whether all of them are true or all of them are just happenstance, there's way too many happenstance for it not to be true. Way too many, you know, Oswald, you know, all these things that go on, the connection between the CIA, to me, the destroying of evidence. I mean, if it was, if it was so easy to prove that Oswald did it, why not release all the documents? How good was Gary Oldman, by the way, as Oswald and JFK? Oh, he was great. He was great. And, and, you know, and Oswald kept saying he was a patsy. And there was was a patsy. patsy. He was a pat. I was a pat. And there was a patsy in Chicago. It's great. You got to watch it. If you're a JFK fan like I am, watch it. I definitely got to check it out. Uh, Quickly, Belfast, great new film from Kenneth Branagh. I saw that. What's that about? I saw you tweeted that. What's that about? Oh, it's fantastic. So Kenneth Branagh, obviously great writer, director. So uh, obviously been a really good actor a long time. He said, I want to make a film of my childhood growing up in Ireland. So it's about a a young boy, ostensibly Kenneth Branagh, when he was a kid, growing up in Ireland in the 70s. Van Morrison, wall-to-wall 
all in the soundtrack, which you will love. It's all oh Van Morrison music, Days Like This, and all those great tracks. And uh, it's a beautiful story you know, about fathers and sons and growing up and finding your way, coming of age story. It isn't particularly original, but it made me think of the writing acts in which you know to make something universal, you have to make it specific. It's very specific about growing up in Ireland in the 70s, but I felt like it's a movie about me and my family and immigration and my grandparents and my dad and my mom. And it's, it's a really beautiful film, black and white movie, hour 40. I loved it. I hope people go check out Belfast. It's going to be a big contender for the Academy Awards. Will it be streaming soon? Yeah, they're, they're releasing it in theaters right now, but they're going to have it in streaming probably around Christmas time. So it's actually sure. a, a great holiday movie to see. It's, it's, uh, it's emotional, it's sentimental, it's sweet, it's funny. And like I said, I knew you'd be all over the Van Morrison. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank you. That's awesome. Check out JFK. Check out Belfast. We're coming at you. GM Shuffle. New episode coming up on Monday.